shame isolates and repentance restores. Mm. So back to Adam and Eve, repentance of their guilt would have been, we hear God walking in the garden and we're like, God, help, help us. Help. <laughs> I, we did, we ate the fruit and now we look down and I, we're naked mm. and I don't, what, what do we do? Like, mm. what do we do to be made right? And then when God asks, what did you do? Adam is not like, well, it was this woman and he's mm. not like, it was the serpent. It's like, no, it was me and I'm trapped and I need you. And mm. whatever the consequences, it's better than the alternative. Mm. That's what shame does. It drives us to hide. y'all and welcome to let's talk a podcast from the gospel coalition podcast network where we seek to apply biblical wisdom to everyday life my name is jackie hill perry and i am here with my buddies aka my buckos melissa Kruger <laughs> and jasmine holmes melissa what are we going to talk about today today we are going to be talking about shame which I think is something that we all experience at some level, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also complicated. And so I think the place we can start is kind of how do we distinguish between shame and guilt? Because the Bible talks about both. It does. A lot, Mm -hmm. actually, quite a lot. I mean, the whole sacrificial system in Mm -hmm. some sense is built around the concept of there's guilt out there. Right. So how do we look at the difference between shame and guilt? Um, I think that the most important thing is to start at the beginning. So where were shame and guilt both born and that's the garden. Um, Adam and Eve sinned. God told them not to do something. They did it. And the thing about guilt is that you don't have to feel guilt in order to be guilty of something. Like, mm. like even if you're a sociopath and you go on an axe murdering spree, your guilt is not determined by how bad you feel about what you did. It's mm. determined by the fact that what you did is against the law. Yeah. And so Adam and Eve sinned. They went against the law of God. But that sin came with a feeling of shame and a feeling of needing to cover up their nakedness before God. And so at first Adam and Eve were like naked and unashamed in the garden, living their married life Mm -hmm. in the trees, frolicking, doing their thing. (laughs) And as soon as they sinned, something about that nakedness became corrupted in their eyes and they could no longer bear to be exposed before God. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between guilt is when you've, you've done something wrong, mm-hmm. but you don't have to actually do anything wrong in order to feel like you want to hide or to mm-hmm. feel unworthy or to feel lesser than. Yeah. I heard a birdie uh, somewhere, maybe in the sky or via Twitter or Instagram, uh, that said that Jasmine Holmes is actually writing a book on this topic. Therefore, all of the questions will most likely be directed <laughs> towards you. Uh, but with that, I, I mean, my thought is what would make you want to be curious or study a topic mm. such as shame. Like, is it shame that drove you to write about shame? Yes. Okay. Mm. It is like a life defining following presence in my life mm. is shame. It was so interesting. I think I talk about therapy every season. I saw this funny meme that was like, our parents generation is like whispering, like I went to therapy and like our duration is like my therapist said the <laughs> wisest thing the other day. Um, Absolutely. but that's true. Yeah. Um, and I think just as being an oldest child, being a pastor's child, growing mm-hmm. up in super conservative circles, growing up as a woman, growing up as a black woman, um, there are just so many layers that had to do with shame in my life. And so I originally went to therapy because I had 
um, had a miscarriage before I had my firstborn, mm-hmm. Wynn. And so I was pregnant with Wynn. I was 18 weeks pregnant. And I filled out an intake form um, at my midwife. And it was like, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, do you feel afraid or do you, do you not sleep well? Do you, and all my feelings were tens, but I was like, I want, I don't want them to think I'm crazy. So I put sixes and sevens hmm. and they came to the room and they were like, Hey, so sixes and sevens are really high. Um, <laughs> really you thought you were being modest. I did. I really thought I was like downplaying it. And so they suggested I go to therapy and I was like, yeah, I think I'm here. I'm here because of fear of losing my baby. And we started mm-hmm. talking about my life and mm-hmm. started like started at the beginning. And she was like, I think you're here because you really struggle with shame mm-hmm. actually. And I was like, what? No way. But it just was this common thread of my motivation for doing things was so often that feeling of unworthiness and trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the analogy that I always use is is it comes from Genesis. It's like, I was trying to cover myself up with fig leaves Interesting. Um, before God could get a look at me. Mm. And I've heard the difference described as guilt being behavior. Mm-hmm. Like I did something bad and shame being identity. I am bad. Yep. And so I think our words and, and that I'm not trying to ask how you grew up. I think sometimes in the church, mm-hmm. We, our words can say you are bad. Yes. Like, it, okay, so if you get caught cheating on a test, it's one thing to say, Jasmine, I'm so disappointed that you chose to cheat on this test today. Right. It is a different thing to come to our child and be like, you are a cheater. You are, mm-hmm. you are and yes, I, this is your identity. And I am embarrassed by you. I mean, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of weight. One says, you chose at this moment to do something wrong. Right. That's guilt. Right. The other is you can never be anything other than, mm-hmm. and that's a weight to bear. And I, it yes. makes you as a parent really think through what am I communicating? Or even just as a friend or a roommate, like if, you know, I call my friend out on something mm-hmm. and say, you, you are this versus, Hey, that behavior isn't actually who you are. Right. Yeah. So I, I have a mm-hmm. question with that because as y'all are talking, I'm thinking through our discipleship language and even our preaching Mm -hmm. and how do you I guess communicate our sinful nature that's right yeah as described in the scriptures while at the same time not imposing shame or is there some kind of fruitfulness that can't like is it is are there times where shame is necessary I'm not Mm -hmm. I'm not saying yes or no I'm saying Mm -hmm. To say that you are a sinner is to talk about who mm-hmm. you are, right? right? And, or, and some interpret that or as shame. Were. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think for me, like, I never got past that, like, you're a low-down, rotten, dirty sinner, mm-hmm. and that's just what you are. Mm-hmm. Forget the fact that Christ died on the cross and that there's no condemnation in him mm-hmm. and that Isaiah literally says that he buried our shame, did away with our mm-hmm. shame. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to talk about myself like... I haven't had a substitutionary atonement. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to talk about myself. Like there was no propitiation for my sin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of like, you know, from a Calvinisty kind of background, Mm -hmm. it can be really easy to kind of get into that language. Um, But I do think that when we talk about shame, when we're talking about believers versus Mm non-believers, we're having a different conversation Um, because shame, we need shame for society to operate Mm -hmm. well, because if you're not ashamed (laughs) 
of anything bad that you do and you don't have the Holy Spirit and you don't have a conscience and you don't have common grace. It's pretty rough. It's mm-hmm. rough. Yeah. It's rough. It's like the purge out there. So yeah. like we need shame. <laughs> but for a believer, I truly believe that shame is a subpar motivation for righteousness mm-hmm. because it's base level. It's the base level. I don't want to feel bad. So I'm not going to do bad things mm. versus I'm a new creature in Christ. And so when I do do bad things, that's a sign of the old man that's being crucified daily by God's grace. That's not who I am. Who I am is hidden in Christ. So a shame, a temptation for me, mm. definitely. Mm. Jasmine, one thing I was thinking when you were talking, um, Paul in all of his letters is always writing to sinners, mm-hmm. but he always says greetings, saints of, mm-hmm. and we know they're not perfect. Like he goes through the reasons why they're not perfect. All the reasons. Like he's always <laughs> yeah. getting on him about something. And I do think there is this sense as a Christian, you know, God has removed our shame mm-hmm. and clothed us with garments of salvation. And it's that Genesis is mm-hmm. picking up on that language. Like you had robes that were blood, you know, I mean, awful, yep. full of sin yep. and full of awfulness. And I've clothed you in robes of righteousness so you don't bear shame Mm -hmm. anymore and i think when we live in that is who i am these behaviors are me living outside of it right that's right repentance for guilt Mm -hmm. and i think that's very different than walking around saying i'm this i'm because then you're never going to change right like actually saying no at a moment in time i did x y or z Mm -hmm. But that doesn't define me. And I think it's important for all of us, like, we're not defined by, you know, if someone had an abortion, you're not defined by that. Mm-hmm. You're not a woman who had an abortion. You know, you're not defined by, I killed someone by drunk driving. Right. You, you're not defined by that. That was a moment that you made a bad decision, but it's really different than, mm-hmm. okay, I can be forgiven and I can walk a newness of life. Yeah. And that's freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's what shame takes away because shame isolates and repentance restores. Mm. So back to Adam and Eve, repentance of their guilt would have been, we hear God walking in the garden and we're like, God, help help us. Help. (laughs) I, we did, we ate the fruit and now we look down and we're naked Mm -hmm. and I don't do what, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Like, what do we do to be made right? And then when God asks, what did you do? Adam is not like, well, it was this woman. And he's Mm -hmm. not like, it was the serpent. It's like, no, it was me. And I'm trapped and I need you. And Mm -hmm. whatever the consequences, it's better than the alternative. Mm -hmm. That's what shame does. It drives us to hide. And also it drives us to cover ourselves in subpar attempts. Like Adam and Eve, cover themselves with fig leaves. Mm-hmm. And if you think about like the long-term impact of covering yourself with fig leaves, it takes a stiff breeze. And then those fig leaves are like, they're gone. It's not going to protect you from the elements. Mm-hmm. It's not going to protect you from, it's not going to really hide anything. Yeah. It's not going to. And then God comes and sacrifices and covers them with something that is going to protect them from the elements. Mm-hmm. It's going to hide their nakedness. It's going to, you know, be sufficient for them. And so again, shame is also taking an insufficient method of, um, it's not even conviction really, because it's not, shame is not connected to guilt and repentance and restoration. It's connected to hiding hmm. and not ever getting past that to yeah. the next, to the next step. I, I, I'm, I'm, the more I learn about myself, the more I'm, I'm discovering that, uh, many of, um, I guess, 
a lot of the ways that I see myself or the false image that I've constructed of myself, which is, you know, you're strong, you're not weak, you're smart, you're not stupid, you're able to do it all, not do a little. <laughs> like all of those can't, a, a lot of it, I think for a long time I was like, oh, either it's just this is true and this is me or this is pride, therefore I just have to humble myself. Mm -hmm. But now I'm seeing that pride also has layers, which is I'm, I, instead of going and being hidden in God, I'm being, I'm hiding behind my gifts mm -hmm. or I'm hiding behind my ability to succeed mm -hmm. and all these things. And I guess the question is, I think that's everybody. Yeah. And we go through life doing that and being applauded mm -hmm. for our fig leaves. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so how does one discover or even discern that this even exists. How, like, how do you know <laughs> that you're living in shame if you don't see it? I mean, I had to have somebody, like I said, I had to have somebody pointed out to me yeah. that I was just constantly on this. Um, I use that analogy and identity theft constantly on the hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. And then the hamster wheel keeps going. And then I like trip and I'm just like rolling around on the hamster wheel. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm unable to get back up. But uh, something um, I was talking to Philip yesterday. I'm not a very competitive person. Um, to a fault. Like when I was playing sports, um, they'd be like, man, we're losing. And I'd be like, you know, you win some, you lose some. Like, uh, just <laughs> they'd be like, the yeah, they would, they would, I would get off the bench and they'd be like, Oh, here comes Jasmine. Fire. Like she's not, she's not going to rush because it's halfway through the game and she's tired. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not about to break a sweat for y'all. Like what? Yeah. It was, you know, it was, it wasn't great, but because I'm not that competitive I'm not always like my my shame really manifests itself and I just give up mm. so it's like I just can't I can't keep up so I'm just going to give up as opposed to the person who's like I'm gonna be on that hamster wheel I'm gonna run no I'm that fat hamster in the corner of the wheel that's just getting run around like over and over and over again because I'm just like you know I guess I'm not gonna be able to measure up um and so I think identifying, identifying how shame manifests itself for maybe our different personality types. And then too, I also think that different types of people have varying degrees of struggling with shame. Um, and it's also important culturally to point out that in the East, the concept of shame is completely different than it is in the West. So when we talk about shame, like in this episode, we're talking about it as three American women who experience it in our very Western way because we don't live in a shame honor culture. Yeah. So there's a way that we talk about shame and there's a vocabulary and definitions that we have that culturally doesn't translate translate yeah. um, to the East. Well, I mean, we live in a culture where everyone gets a trophy. Right. Even, yeah, I mean, we, we really do. We, we want everyone from the best player on the team to the worst player on the team to feel good about themselves. So, and that's not, that's not all bad, you know, but we've all, we're, we're very different than a culture that says, no, only the best move forward and you have to be the best. I don't think, right. I mean, some families are like that. Yeah. It's not absent from our culture, but I don't think it's our pervading cultural mm -hmm. mindset. And it's and not like when you do something wrong, it's not like dishonor on your entire family. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We don't, we don't. I actually listened to uh, this uh, sermon by, I, I'm mentioning Tim Keller again, uh, but it was about Jesus's miracle of turning the water into wine. And he pointed out, or he made a very interesting observation, which was that when people see that miracle, which was the first of Jesus's miracles, they just kind of spend a lot of time on the fact that he made water into wine, not realizing that also in a shame honor culture, it was shameful 
to run out of wine. Mm -hmm. And so not only is Jesus providing more joy for, for the guests, but he's removing the shame on that couple. And I was like, wow, (laughs) like I never thought about it, but it was like, oh, that is what he came to do. Not only to restore our joy, but to remove our shame. Mm. I just, I wish somebody had told me when I was younger that the crippling shame that I live with day in and day out did not have to be a reality for somebody who is bought with the blood of Jesus. Mm. Cause I just, my, my first memories are like the strongest memories that I have of my early childhood are those feelings of like shame, not Mm. belonging, being, being ashamed of myself, being humiliated, wanting to hide, wanting to, um, and I've been saved for a really long time Mm -hmm. for somebody not to say, Hey, do you know? that Jesus came to remove that thing that you're feeling. Um, I wish they did. So how do we as the church make that worse? Do you know what I'm saying? Because like you grew up in the church, was that adding to your shame in some ways when we, we would hope it would remove it, you know, right. with the truths. I mean, what causes that in the church? Cause mm-hmm. we should be the most free people alive. You know, I, I actually understand why the non-Christian, even though, I mean, because the law is still written on their hearts. Mm-hmm. So there should be some level of why am I this way? I, I do what I don't want to do. Right. We all right. have experienced that, mm-hmm. non-Christian and Christian alike. But we hopefully should be bringing up children and people who convert, you know, in this shame-free culture almost. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe there should be... That's a different question, but what can the church do better to remind each other that our guilt has been pardoned Hmm. and we're free from shame? I think it's an overreaction to our culture because like a lot of our culture is all about being shameless and just like being who you are and being unashamed and just being out there. I um, recently read uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, cause I just wanted to kind of see like, what's, you know, what are some people saying about shame? Like, how are they talking about shame? And her memoir is very much like, I was able to get rid of shame by basically just giving into the things that I wanted to do and being who I was. And that's how, that's my story. And so as a believer, when you start saying things like breaking free of shame, people are like, I don't know about that. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds like you want license to sin. That mm-hmm. sounds like gotcha. you want you know, it sounds yeah. like you don't want to be convicted. It sounds like because, but I think it's because we don't have those delineations between shame and guilt, condemnation and conviction. Yeah. And when we talk about shame, we talk about it as though it's the exact same for somebody who's bought with the blood of Christ and somebody who is not a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just a lot of groundwork that has to take place. Even when every single time I talk about shame, I have to first say, okay, what I'm not saying is that we never feel guilty because guilt is different from shame. What I'm not saying is that we never feel convicted because conviction is different from mm-hmm. condemnation. You know, and it just, it takes a lot of hmm, yeah. clarification. And it would even be okay to say that we should feel remorse for our sin, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, I think that's, remorse feels different than shame. Yeah. Remorse says, oh, I, I did something God didn't want me to do, and I know that's the bad choice. Mm-hmm. Shame still, though, is this weight. I it's can't also quite... very, like, self-focused. Yeah. It's like, I am terrible. Woe <laughs> is me. I'm going to stare at my navel until I just implode. Hmm. I feel so bad. It's a... It's, it's a um, I was t- talking to Jackie before we started recording because it's so connected to God's holiness, but it's like a wrong reaction to God's holiness for a believer. Because honestly, if you stand before 
a holy God. Shame is like the emotion that's going to come up. It's, it's going to happen. He's Isaiah 6. Perfect. Yeah. What was me? I'm a man of unclean lips. Yeah. Like, look and, at him. And the people I hang with. Yeah. Like, yeah. look at him. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> right? But the thing about it for a believer is that he's not looking at you. Hmm. You. He's hmm. looking at you through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And so the the goal of, like, removing shame from the life of a believer isn't, like, so I can just be free and just, like, do what I want to do and not be hampered. The goal is closer and deeper relationship with Christ, mm. who is the answer to all of our shame, who is the answer to the sin that causes shame, who is the answer to the unworthiness that causes shame, and who connects us to the holy God that we no longer have to, I'm not going to say fear, but be afraid of mm-hmm. as believers, because fear can take on those different connotations. Mm-hmm. But. Defining mm-hmm. terms. Yes. I, I have a question for Melissa. I think as a parent, okay. I, I think I am prone to, and I think many people are prone to, to, to motivate your children to write ethical living through shame, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I don't know, just stop doing that. That's a bad thing to do. You're being a bad boy, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I, I guess how, with you raising your children, how have you learned how to motivate them to good works mm-hmm. without shaming them for not doing it perfectly? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And this is where I think language really does matter. I mean, some of this is a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. Like when I call them out on something and say, hey, you made a mess. That's very different than you're a bad boy. Mm-hmm. Very different. Like you right now made a mess. And that's just true. Right. You did make a mess. And also, you know, I think it's always a really big deal that their actions get a right response from me. So it should be, hey, I, I think it's okay to say I am really disappointed that mm-hmm. you cheated. That it, it, I'm, I'm really sad that you chose to do that. Let's talk about how to make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's because what you're saying now, there is actually a pathway right. to making it right. So you may need to go confess to your teacher. Yeah, you may need to say, but this is the right way to deal with that gunk that you're feeling, mm-hmm. which is the right kind of guilt for your sin. Because I think, I think that's actually encouraging. Oh, I can do something with my guilt. Mm-hmm. I can take it. So we are actually image bearing for them. What do you do with this thing called sin? Mm-hmm. And we're going to send to them. So we're going to have plenty of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, because I, yes. I will often come to them and say, hey, it was totally wrong of you to hit your sister. Totally wrong. But my reaction was completely wrong too. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry. And I shouldn't have done that. And now you need to go tell your sister, you're sorry for hitting her. You know, and so we're giving them a pathway to deal with guilt, which is a gift mm-hmm. because then it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, in some sense we've said this, you know, this is how you relate rightly, but you're going to make problems. But I do think that's really different than there are some really damaging words. And I think as parents, we have to own that. Um, and it really matters how we respond the first initially. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was a teenager, I was in a rush to go to my job at Belks where I was doing the gift wrapping. <laughs> I was in a rush. I got my car and I backed out and I ran into the garage door. Like oh, it was still shut. You know, Oof. this was a, my mom came out and she was like, Oh, 
And then she goes, go ahead and leave. You need to get to work. She understood at that moment there's nothing to do. But she didn't shame me. She didn't say, well, you're so stupid. Mm -hmm. How could, you know, I mean, that's actually a big deal. And I, Mm -hmm. I talked to my kids the other day. I said, what in our parenting did you appreciate? I was just trying to ask some questions for something I'm working on. And one of them said, your first reaction was gracious. Like, I think we need to always remember to keep the relationship with our kids. Mm -hmm. It's not about the spilled milk. It's not about even the bigger things. You know, they got drunk and had a party at the house, you know, all that. It's always important that we remember we're in a relationship. Whereas there's some sense, I think we attach our shame to them. Mm -hmm. And so when your behavior now represents me, I'm going to put a lot more shame on you Mm -hmm. because I am now associating you with me. Preach this word. You know, and that's when we get in trouble. I mean, that's when we get in trouble. Whereas when I can say freely, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. I'm going to love you and chase you with my love Mm -hmm. every day of my life. That's a gospel home. Wow. We can still say it was wrong, but I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to chase you down because I love you so much. And that's, that's what... God does to us. That's amazing. And, and I, I think what you just said is huge because um, in me kind of speaking to parents often about sexuality, mm-hmm. I see that where the pressure to uh, quote unquote evangelize or hope that their child would not, you know, live out uh, a differing sexual identity than they prefer it often seems as if the pressure they're putting on their children is to alleviate the embarrassment they feel as parents. And that's just an interesting thing, I think, to investigate, which mm-hmm. is, do you really want your child to be whole or do you just want to look like a perfect parent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's a completely different discussion, yeah. you know? And it will affect how we parent. Wow. Because when we say, no, I love God's law and I know it's life for you. And that's why I want it for you. Mm. So different than it being about me. And that's, I think, the hardest job as a parent. Yeah. Pull that away and say, no, you know, I want this for you like I want good things for you. Like, to obey God. Like, that's why I want my kids to obey God. Because I'm like, he's the creator and maker of, of you and of me. And so I don't know what's best. I'm a finite human, but I, I'm choosing to believe this word. Mm-hmm. And so I want it for you not to prove I'm a good parent, but because I trust in him. And I think this is an interesting thing. I read this verse. It's Psalm 25, 2. And this was an interesting thing. He said, oh, God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. And I do think in this culture we live in today, there is a sense where trusting in God can put us to shame like believing the things from the culture, Mm -hmm. you know, believing the things we believe that this book says is not culturally accepted. And I do think there's this kind of cry that Mm -hmm. culture shames what Christians believe. Like Mm -hmm. we're now the bad guys in some sense, I think, you know, like what we believe can be seen as hateful or um, how do we fight that cultural shame without putting shame back? Does that make sense? Like, how do we engage it, but yet trust in the Lord? Like, I trust that his ways are true, even when the world thinks I'm crazy. Because that's where I feel some days. Mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all feel this. But, like, how do I walk in that trust, but still be gracious to people who are putting me to shame, so to speak? Yeah. 
That's such a necessary question because, uh, as Jasmine was saying earlier, shame makes you hide. Therefore, I think when engaging the culture, uh, teaching an offensive gospel message makes you want to hide, mm -hmm. a.k.a. be a coward, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> to just retreat and say, you know what? Either I'm not going to say nothing at all or I'm going to just start believing what y'all believe so you'll accept me again. Yep, right. uh, but I, I, I guess the belief system has to be that what I'm sharing is not bad. Mm. Neither am I a bad person for sharing mm -hmm. this. I'm, I'm actually trying to be a faithful ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that that comes with a sense of um, perceived harm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, that this, this hurts and it feels shameful to say, you need to repent. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to share it for the sake of you being restored back to fellowship with God. And so I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess our perspective on what we're sharing and who we are as we share it mm -hmm. would be helpful. Mm. And something that I've learned um, in my shame journey is that you don't have to accept shame just because somebody's offering it to you. Mm. Um just because somebody... I just want to throw a shoe. I, just, I, I know we're on this podcast and we're supposed to be all quiet and maintain. I just want to take off my moccasin and throw it at your face. It's just... You, I, it was such my a freeing God. thought the first time I realized that. It's like, oh, I've told something. I think I was talking to Philip. I was like, you know, they're just shaming me. And he was like, okay. That doesn't have to... Come on, teach this thing. Like, that doesn't have to define you. That doesn't have to... It. It's really all about, like, where's our identity? Is it in what other people say about us or is it in Christ? Cause if it's in Christ, he says there's no condemnation in him. Yeah. But if we're not actively believing that, then we're going to actively believe what the culture says. And we're going to let that define that define us and that move us forward to action. And even in relationships with people who have tried to shame me for living my life in certain ways or making certain decisions for my kids or in my marriage or, or what have you, it's up to me whether I take that in and let that start to define who I am or whether I say, God, help me to submit even more to what you want from me so that I'm defined completely by you. But just because somebody's offering it to you doesn't mean that you have to pick it up. Yeah. I might as well delete Twitter then. I know. <laughs> That's the most was, shaming oh my gosh, place so in shaming. the world. I called it the new um, Athenian... Um, Lions yes. Den. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, to me, it's like our new place that we go to watch the people be ripped apart and the mm -hmm. gladiators are mm -hmm. there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it it's feels like it's a the new arena. Yes, the Coliseum. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> you said arena. Same thing. You said arena. <laughs> That's what, but it's the new Coliseum. It's the place we want to say we're so much better. We would never watch people be torn apart. But oh, it's do. just a different, it's a verbal tearing apart. Which is to say that shame is also entertaining. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's mm -hmm. super entertaining to you watch know. people get shamed, especially yeah. if you're not a fan of theirs. Like, mm -hmm. even people with our last two presidents have both had, they're up there talking and they say one thing, but they meant another thing. Depending on who's who you voted for or like where your allegiance is, people will talk about that verbal slip up for three, four news cycles. That's true. And it's like, and I find myself, depending on how I'm feeling about POTUS at the particular moment, <laughs> being like, man, he's, he's mm. dumb. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
LOL. Yeah. Right? Our hearts delight in it a little they too do. much. I mean, like, we are part of our shame culture. Yes. I if mean, we're like, if we we're frustrated it. by somebody, if we're frustrated by people, it's really easy to want to see them in shame. And then, you know, the whole reality TV culture and just oh, all like, we love to watch people make thing. fools of themselves. Yeah. We're actually comforted. Well, I'm not that crazy. I yeah. mean, you know, in some mm. sense, we're like, our family is not like that family. Right. So it's, yeah, that's bad. And it's also like a, you know, a fig leaf. Cause when you stand before mm-hmm. God, Pookie and Ray and them are not going to be next yeah. to you, making you look better. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's just going to be you. Exactly. Okay, so I have one question um, or one thought, you know, when you're in Leviticus. <laughs> when you're in Leviticus, um, an image I've always actually really felt comforted from is that image of the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I mean, obviously God made us and he knows us, but it's that image, you know, they put all the sins of the people mm-hmm. and then they send the goat out of the camp and that's in Leviticus. And we're told in Hebrews, you know, the blood of bulls and goats is never able to take away sin. But then we have the beautiful words of John the Baptist when he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin Mm -hmm. of the world. And it's this wonderful picture of our guilt does need a place to go. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the beauty of what we have to offer the non-Christian. And I think sometimes that does get lost You know, they're so busy, like when you were talking about the book, Untamed, Mm -hmm. trying to cover their shame by saying there is no guilt. Right. And that's a, that's the way they're dealing with it. If there is no guilt, you can never have shame. Mm -hmm. But I I have to believe that's going to not go well eventually. Yeah. You know, whereas we're actually saying that there is real guilt, Mm -hmm. but we have a remedy for shame. Yeah. But is there any room in the Christian culture for shame? Or should it just be, yeah, does that make sense? Like, is there any space for it? Like, should we ever, or is it just remorse? I mean, obviously we're going to feel it. Yeah. You can't get rid of shame. It's going to be there. Like it's been there since the garden. So I don't think there's a Christian that exists that doesn't feel shame, but what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. Like, where do you go with it? Do you wallow in it? Do you allow it to define your life? Or do you recognize the fact that Christ took on our shame on the cross? And that to continue to wallow in it and to self-flagellate is to question whether or not his sacrifice for it was enough. Is that the truth you talk to yourself? So when you're feeling, you have a miscarriage and you're realizing you're dealing with shame, mm-hmm. is that, is that what you, you know, is that how you fight it? How can we fight it? Yeah, I that guess? is, that is how okay. I talk to myself. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I like to picture that mm-hmm. goat going outside the camp, mm-hmm. carrying it and that it is no more. And you know what I keep thinking of, and I don't, I don't really have enough uh, theological depth to expound on this, but <laughs> I'm merely thinking about how you said in the garden, you know, how their nakedness or them noticing their nakedness was a part of them, you know, experiencing shame. But just thinking about the fact that the eternal, transcendent God condescended, took on flesh live this perfect life and then got on the cross naked, mm-hmm. you know, that's such a shameful. Oh, completely execution. exposed. Mm. Yes. You know, and God turned his face away. Mm. Yeah. The only thing that can possibly cover us from shame is God. And God actively chose not to cover him from shame. Yeah. Mm. And now he clothes us. Right. In righteousness. 
That's, oh, that's just so, deep. Yeah. So then it's like when you realize that you're wallowing in this thing that Jesus has already taken care of. Mm-hmm. Mm. For why? Mm. Well. That makes you want to sing What a Savior, mm-hmm. you know. What's that song? Isn't there an, uh, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Yeah, that's it. I would need that's like it. the little teleprompter yeah. to sing it yeah. verbatim. I know, I can't sing, so I will not do that. <laughs> I but know it does. all the words, and I'm a really great singer, but I don't want to play all the shame, so. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, I have one last question. How culturally, I was thinking about this when you were talking about motherhood, do we feel shame for the wrong things? Like, I actually, what I'm ashamed about is that my shame is not often on biblical guilt, but on not living up to worldly standard guilt. It's like, I'm not the mom I should be. Oh, absolutely. I don't look That's the like way I should That's like the bulk look. of shame okay. that I find in my life. Isn't that interesting? Like, yeah. it's not about I've dishonored God. Mm-hmm. Maybe I do feel ashamed about it's this. It's like, oh, my house hasn't been clean for right. three days. Yes. Right. So we actually feel shame about the wrong things. Well, like Adam and Eve, they felt shame about the wrong thing. They yeah. weren't like, we disobeyed God. That's true. Then that's what the problem is. They were like, oh my gosh, we're naked. <laughs> we need yeah. to hide. Uh, the we need some clothes. Yeah. And uh, God's like, law, broken, but you're naked. Okay, yeah. that's what you're worried about right now. That's so true. Um, we are just like them. Yeah, we're totally just Ooh. like them. Because a lot of you, I think a lot of whenever you talk about shame, you know, people are like, well, how will we know to, what to do, what's right? It's like, do you know how how little our shame is connected to actually doing wrong, yeah. like biblically wrong things and how much it's related to fitting in with our culture yes. and like our own wow. pride and our own sense of self. Like when you're talking about the shame that comes from just being a sinner who sins, mm. that's like a little bitty piece of the pie of the shame that we're talking about in the West as women. Mm. This is very convicting. I really am feeling, I mean, because I'm thinking about it. I feel very little shame that I didn't pray for a friend well enough, Mm. but I can feel a lot of shame that my child, I don't think has eaten a vegetable in like a couple of weeks. I mean, you like, and you know, cause I'm like, Oh, I'm a failure. And that is, that's, and we should feel that conviction. Yeah. It's culturally imposed. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So it's even good for us to kind of wade through is my shame even based on real guilt or mm-hmm. perceived guilt for mm-hmm. not living up to cultural standards. Yeah. And usually like so often it's mm-hmm. the latter, especially for women. Maybe it's a way we hide from actually having to deal with not living up to God's standards. Mm-hmm. But part of me also thinks we just got to get older. Mm. Cause I do think uh, this isn't like a, a, I don't think this is consistent throughout every single human being that reaches 70. But it just seems like the older people get, the less those kind of culturally imposed uh, feelings of shame even matter. Yeah. Like my mama, she's 65. And she just kind of be out here living her life. That's not to say that she doesn't have shame. It's just she's free in a way that it's just like, Oh, it's because, you know, you're older. You ain't got time to be caring about your wrinkles. Yep. Yeah. How you look. You don't got time but to be But then they turn around and start shaming you. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> you're free. Now my, you're like. my mama shamed the mess out of me when my child was shade. potty trained by uh, 15 months. You was potty trained by 12 months. It, why your child ain't potty trained? I was like, because I'm not you. Mom, so yeah, definitely. See, they do. I, I, the that's o- the thing. That's true. They do. The, they, the they older get, generation they get free, does. and then they start turning around and being like, well, "What are you doing?" Getting all judgmental. I love her though, but she, that's, that's true. That's so true. never mind. Disregard. Well, 
to end on that because it is true. I think maybe there, there's a side when our shame's not dealt, dealt with correctly, we're going to shame others. Mm. You know, we're going to go on and whatever it will be, even if we overcome it, then we'll be judgmental about other people who haven't overcome their shame. Yeah. Rather than when we say, nope, it was placed on Jesus. There's freedom for me. Mm-hmm. Let me just tell you about the freedom. Right. That's Let a me just like message. invite you into this yeah. totally freedom, not freedom, not licentiousness. Yes. But like actual freedom in Christ. That's right. Mm. That's right. And that's the beauty. That's what we're going for mm-hmm. in, in all these discussions. Well, let's move to our favorite things. So if we were going to go and get a coffee order, what would be your favorite coffee order that we'd be putting in? Depending on what kind of shop we're at if we're because there are some coffee institutions <laughs> where they they don't have baristas they have crew members mm. i won't say their names and so you know they just they don't really care about your your milk to espresso ratio it's just you know we got to get the order out so those people i don't trust with lattes cappuccinos macchiatos mm. none of that just go ahead just give me a brew little coffee with a side of milk uh, but if I'm at a place where they know what they're doing, uh, I'll most likely get a latte with almond milk, mm. maybe iced. If I'm feeling zingy, I'll get a cold brew, black. And that's it. But you can't trust everybody with a cold brew. True. Because huh. it just, it's special. Okay. Do you make it at home? Oh, no. Okay. I buy it. That's what I, I did because I heard you drinking it. So I have I a cold brew maker. I just legit. Maybe it's the pregnancy. I don't feel like it. Like yeah. I would, I would rather get in my car and make y'all make it for me. What about you, Jasmine? Um, so I don't drink coffee, and the degree to which I don't drink coffee can be adequately summed up by my Starbucks order, which is which is an upside down caramel macchiato. Mm. That's still coffee. It like means nothing though. No, like, it doesn't. To have like an actual barista like break down like what why is it upside down. What is it a macchiato? Yeah. Is it actually? Do you, do you? I just want. I just want caramel and whipped cream at the bottom of my drink. Like, yeah. on, like that. That's what this really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So normally, I'm gonna get tea. I'm gonna get like a yeah. London fog or chai chai What's tea latte. Fog? It's um. It's like Earl Grey with yeah. um. Usually almond milk. It's good. Oh, it's hot. I've never heard of it. It's, yeah. Oh. Well, I would want if I'm actually at a coffee place. You know, I would probably get some sort of. Mocha. That's the favorite. It's actually at the RTS coffee store. That's my favorite place to get a mocha. It's really, really good. But um, I'm actually a tea drinker too, but I have to have it the British way because that's where I started drinking with milk, a little bit of sugar and black tea. That's like my favorite. That's my morning drink. So that's how we all get woken up Hmm. in the morning. Sounds sweet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get some crumpets for Jasmine. (laughs) Some Some biscuits. Philip got those clotted bis- cream off cookies yesterday. Oh, those are them from Delta or yeah. you actually bought them. So Delta is not doing them anymore. They are. Um, they like stopped. Philip is very upset about it. They are. I was just on a flight two days ago. We were on a flight yesterday. This is the difference. Okay. I think, I think they are offering them for different classes. Oh, that's what it is then. And so I told my friend, if you request it, I think they'll get it, give it to you. Hey guys, we are really excited to talk to you about our sponsor um, for this season, Crossway. And today we're going to be discussing this book, Deeper by Dane Orland. Uh, Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about this book? Yeah, I'm excited about this book because it's honestly, I think the, I like the subtitle. It's Real Change for Real Sinners. And I know that sometimes in our lives, we kind of think, well, there's no hope for me Mm -hmm. or there's no hope 
for the person I live with. Hmm. Maybe that's what we think more. But um, it, what's exciting about this book is he actually looks at um, people from history and just different ways that we can actually fight sin, be in the battle, and look to Jesus and find lasting change. And so I think that's really exciting because I think it's something that we can feel really stuck. And I think the hope of this book is that we go deeper into the gospel. We actually live in greater freedom. And so I think that's what he's doing in this book. So it's a great opportunity to read and learn. And so Jackie, can you tell us where we can get this? I'm actually selling selling them out the back of my trunk. Oh, yeah, nice! It's you a, get to a, meet Jackie when my you buy the book. Come yeah. on by. You better not offer that with KJV Bibles. <laughs> I'm kidding, but they can pick them up wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org forward slash plus. And when you do, please find out how you can get 30% off directly from Crossway because the saints love a good deal. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk. Next week, we'll be talking about how to talk about race, and we hope you will join us. You can subscribe to Let's Talk or wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you've enjoyed this season so far, we'd appreciate it if you would give us a rating on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. The Gospel Coalition supports the church in making disciples of all nations by providing resources that are trusted and timely, winsome and wise, and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 